0: This podcast is sponsored by King Manual Therapy, restoring function to body and voice. Hello and welcome to Industry Minds, the podcast which discusses the importance of talking about mental health within the creative arts. My name is Kathy Reed, and today I am joined by poet, speaker, spoken word artist, writer, and full-time feminist freedom fighter Salma El Wardani. Hi.
1: <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Good morning.
0: Good morning. We're having a nice cup of tea. We
1: are. In recording
0: my... in my office, which is the first time I've recorded in my office. Actually. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Well, we'll be the test run, the guinea exactly. pigs. <laughs> it's good. It's it's a nice space. I've got a Harry Potter mug. What more do you want?
0: Loving life. Loving life. Exactly. <laughs> So we always start with a word association game. Let's do it. So just the first thing that comes into your head.
1: I love this game when you played it at the event. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was so sad I couldn't play. So now I'm here. Now you get to play. <laughs> yeah.
0: And you get all the words. Exactly. <laughs> this is the
1: sole reason I came on this podcast. No, exactly. <laughs> so, Monday morning. Awful. British weather. Sometimes. Feminism. Great. Egypt. Hot. Religion. Hard.
0: The patriarchy. Awful. Creativity. Wonderful. Expression. A must. Spoken word.
1: Emotional. Chocolate. Delicious. yeah
0: Just adding, <laughs> a nice one at the end. It's also because I was craving chocolate this morning. I had to, <laughs> yeah, I had to stop myself from, uh, from going and buying some at Morrison's. That's the trouble with it. Right? You
1: should have just said I would have bought some. I, have oh, like no, a I chocolate don't need drawer. it. I don't you need do it. Do <laughs> everyone
0: needs it. So, Salma, tell us about your background. Uh, where did you grow up and what were your aspirations as a young woman?
1: Ooh, aspirations. So I was born in Egypt, came to England when I was about five, and then grew up in Newcastle upon Tyne, in the total northern lass. Um, my mother's Irish, um, and I grew up in Newcastle. Just I don't know what is actually from there. The family just happened to be there at the time. Grew up in Newcastle, and for most of my childhood and young womanhood, wanted to be a librarian. That's Aww. all I ever wanted to be, <laughs> and then I grew up and realized there was no money in it, so I was like, "This isn't gonna work out for me." Um, but amidst my librarian dreams, my lofty dreams, um, I always wanted to be a writer. It was just always about being a writer, which is why I always spent so much time in the library. So I just lived there, and which is why it wasn't natural for me in my head to be like, "Oh well, this is where you'll work."
0: Yeah. <laughs> what kind of stuff did you write as a kid?
1: Um, so I wrote. I wrote a lot of stories. Yeah. And I remember writing a poem when I was really young. It was about church bells. It was the first poem that I ever wrote. I don't know why, as a Muslim child, I wrote about church bells. (laughs) Um, Maybe because I I used to hear them when I went to brownies or something. You know, I don't know. Um, And then, but I would always write stories and then kind of opinions. Yeah. I used to write when I was really young. This is really cringe. I used to write like a fake six o'clock morning news. And then every morning at like 6am, I would read the news to my teddy bears. At 6am? At 6am, because I was an early rising when I was young. (laughs) And then much to the annoyance of the rest of my household, because they'd be like, shut thin walls, you know? And like every morning at 6am, I'd be there with my like fake news that I'd written, and then read the news report. I love that. Well, I that's mean, so it's, sweet. It's also weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's also weird. <laughs>
0: Kids do that though, don't they? They love it. They love weird. Literally
1: things. but I just we grew up with like Radio 4 constantly on. Yeah. It was just the soundtrack of my childhood. So I just was used that's what I heard. So I was like, oh well, I will do the news.
0: Amazing. <laughs> so um can you chat to us about your experiences with mental health?
1: Mm. So I think as you know like growing up mental health just was never talked about. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something anyone ever said. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only in the last few years that we've become prevalent and we've started to talk about it. And I was always that person... I'm incredibly stubborn. So I'm always that person that said, if there's a problem, I'll just fix it. I'll just sort it out. And a few years ago, I started therapy, and it took me a really long time to get there because no one's talking about it. No one's saying therapy is a, is a thing that you should do. Um, and also, being a problem solver, I was like, I'll solve all of these problems by myself. It's completely fine. And also, I grew up with my mother... But not that she doesn't, she's an advocate she thinks it's great, whatever but she did grow up saying things like "Oh, this is the time that everyone just turns around in therapy and blames their parents which is obviously to do with whatever chip she had about me one day turning around and blaming my mother for whatever it was yeah. um, and she always said that so I always had, probably had this negative image of therapy mm-hmm. and I was thinking my mum would probably be upset if I went because she'll think I'll be blaming her in therapy and talking about what a terrible mother she is or something mm-hmm. like that Um, So it took me a really long time to start. And I remember one of my friends saying, and I'd had like a particularly bad year and lots of bad things had happened. And I remember a friend turning around to me and saying, what else needs to happen for you to validate this? And I was thinking, why am I waiting until like the whole world falls down for me to be like, oh, now it's acceptable. Mm -hmm. Um, So it took me a really long time to start. And then when I did start therapy i swear by it i love it i think it should be in the curriculum i think every boy and girl should have to do it at some point i am that annoying person that tells everyone like you need to go to therapy i was literally with my friend yesterday i was like you need to go to therapy to deal with your intimacy issues and he was like i don't have intimacy. i was like yes you do um and so i'm a huge advocate of it now and i think therapy probably saved my life in, in many many different ways
0: amazing yeah. yeah. I mean I agree. We we advocate obviously we have our, our counselling service with industry minds yep. um and both Scarlett and myself are in therapy slash have been in the in the past mm. year. So definitely an advocate for it. And um, so you are a poet. Yep. And you uh, said that you used to write stuff as a kid. Yeah. Um, where did, where did you begin to have a love for it? Or was it just because of the, the want to be a writer that it kind of came into your life?
1: Do you know what? Poetry was genuinely a complete accident. Really? Yeah, it was a complete accident. I never wanted to be a poet. I always wanted to be a writer. I never wanted to be a poet. It wasn't even a thing. It wasn't even on my periphery. That poem, the first poem that I wrote about church bells, was like the first and only poem I wrote as a kid. I mean, obviously it was terrible. <laughs> but I wrote it way, way, back, way, way back when I was really young. And then just never thought about poetry. I studied... I did my degree in literature and then my master's in literature. So obviously you're you're studying poetry as a literature student. You know, you do the canon, right? But even when I was wading through Wordsworth and Tennyson and Barrett Browning, none. I was like, cool, fine, great. But it didn't call to me the way novels did, the way literature did in other forms. And it never called to me. And when I started writing seriously and I started my blog, I was always doing long-form articles, opinion pieces... Um, never short form poetry, and this is such a cliche. But I just got my heart broken, mm-hmm. and I've always written as a form of therapy to manage my emotions or to understand my emotions yeah. better. And it just, it felt like my chest cracked open, and then the poems just came out, just totally accidentally. That's how they came out, and I thought, oh,
0: okay, that's amazing.
1: Sure, let's just do it. With that. So I just did that. So then everyone was asked me like, "When's your poetry collection coming out?" I was like, "Oh, I don't, I don't think it is. Like, mm-hmm. I never." really had aspirations to be a poet it's just this accidental thing that has happened um but it's lovely again and I do I am a big fan of poetry now but I think I probably got into it because I was writing and it came out that way Mm. um and I think Instagram is a huge huge part to play in the poetry renaissance that we're now seeing because poetry is having a renaissance and it's having a second wind and it's you know you've got huge poets like Rupika and R.M. Drake and Alison Malley and just poets that are playing with the poetry form and changing the form the poetry that we're experiencing now that we all love that we that we read on instagram or whatever it may be or in these books that you get that's not the poetry that we were taught in in school or in education establishments that's not the poetry that anyone in the academic circles will be like that's great work mm-hmm. do you know what i mean it there's a lot of academic snobbery around it, yeah. um, but it is being changed, and I think Instagram and social media is a huge part to play in that, and I love the change in poetry. I am here for that change. Amazing. Yeah. I mean,
0: we'll definitely come on to talking about Instagram later. <laughs> yeah. That, that is a point <laughs> <laughs> that we will talk about social media, but um, just before we get on to that, um, many of our listeners will know you from your incredible spoken word. Uh, which we had the pleasure of hearing live at our International Women's Day panel event. What a night. Yeah, it was great. Um, So for those who don't know, can you explain what spoken word is and how it helps you to express your creativity?
1: Yes. So spoken word is essentially poetry that is written to be heard and not read. So it's performance poetry. So the way you write for the page is very different to the way you write for an audience that's gonna hear your words, right? Um, and I've always loved spoken word, to be to be fair, when I was young, I remember watching YouTube videos of all these spoken word artists. So that it's different in the way it's received by the audience. And for me, I have, so per, spoken word's quite theatrical. Yeah. It's dramatic, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. It's, it's performance poetry, like performances in the word. Yeah. And I've got a lot of anger, right? So I'm angry a lot of the time, generally at men. Mostly, I say generally, mostly at men. And all the things to do with the patriarchy that have ruined my life. Do you know, and every other woman's life. And I am so angry at all of that. And so spoken word gives me this incredible tool that allows me to be angry but also sad and emotional and poignant and the way a spoken word poem can rise and fall and you go like you climax and you come down and you go through different kind of emotional spheres and that's what that lets me do. I don't I don't know if I get my anger out the same way when I write for the page, like a poem for the page. Mm. I don't know that anger comes across, but when I'm writing a spoken word, like most of my spoken word pieces have come out of pure rage. Like I've just been so annoyed and I've been like, rah, Mm -hmm. my laptop and then it's all just come out. Yeah. So it's a good, it's a good, it's an anger tool, anger management. Uh, I (laughs) call it that. (laughs) How many pieces do you reckon you've written? Oh, uh, a spoken word piece, I don't know, probably like 20 to 30. Yeah.
0: Do you have a favourite?
1: ooh, ooh, hard asking me to ask about my children Um, there's definitely favourites for sure I did one about um, I wrote a spoken word piece in response to Hotline Bling by Drake Mm -hmm. and I love that because I hate that song so much Um, so I really love that piece and then there's also some really tender deeply emotional pieces that deal with very very sad things Mm -hmm. that I um, weirdly really like (laughs) I don't know, I'm drawn to the pain, I'm an artist, aren't I? Yeah. We love it, don't we?
0: Yeah. I mean, spoken word is definitely something that I wasn't massively aware of until I actually became aware of you. Oh, really? Yeah. And Interesting. I, and I, I love it. And um, Scarlett and myself, we did a, a talk at the Brit School. Okay. And we asked them to do their own sp- spoken word pieces at amazing. the end. And some of the stuff they came up with was amazing. Right? It's just, yeah, it's just such a great medium for expressing and saying what you want but also like Mm. feeling but also performing at the same time
1: right and it doesn't have so many rules as traditional poetry like it yeah. doesn't have to rhyme or it doesn't have to be like this or it is literally like pull up whatever is weighing on your chest yeah. and throw it at the audience and just see what happens and to be fair spoken word has a bit of a bad rep yeah it does people think it's a bit cheesy and people think it's coming around though it is coming it is, around for sure for sure
0: and mm. um, so just still on that topic um spoken word and writing is something that we encourage massively mm. um to help mental health would you agree that writing has this impact that it can help your mental
1: health? Oh, 110%. It's therapy. Writing, spoken word especially, is therapy. Like if you look at all spoken word videos online or, or if you go to a spoken word night, the poems that you hear are heavy. They deal with difficult things, they deal with racism, they deal with oppression, they deal with rape, they deal with trauma. Like Generally spoken we deals with very heavy things because it is such an incredible way of processing and dealing with those emotions Um, and it's very much a way of getting it out into the world but you also have the barrier of creativity and art. You also have the barrier of being able to say, it's just something I'm writing. So there's been times where I've written poems and put them out there, and then friends have called me and been like, oh my God, are you okay to do that? And I'm like, yeah, but it's there. I don't need to talk about it anymore, and I don't have to explain it or validate it or justify it to anyone, because it's my art. And that gives you a protective sphere around it. Um, and it's incredible. There's been times where... I think the poem sometimes chooses you and you don't choose the poem and there was this, this one poem that I never wanted to write it was on a topic that I never wanted to talk about I didn't want to be public about but the poem just knocked on my chest for about a year and wouldn't leave me alone and I, I felt this restlessness I wasn't comfortable I was like, oh, and I was like fine I'll, I'll just write it and I sat down and in about 10 minutes it spilled out of me this perf- I didn't edit it it just came out of me the way it was and I was like well, it will feel better now that, I've, now that I've written it and I'll, I'll feel calmer and I didn't, and it was kind of, the poem was then knocking on me to perform it. And, the, and once I gave it to an audience, it just, it calmed down. All those emotions in me calmed down that I was dealing with. Yeah. It's something about taking it out of your body and giving it to someone else and putting it out in the world and then being like, cool, I've processed it. Yeah,
0: which I guess is what therapy is.
1: Exact, it's exactly, that's exactly what the therapy thing, is, isn't it?
0: 100%. Yeah. You often feel better if you, after you've just said something. Right, and, and you've you just got it off. It, and you don't need to
1: exactly. discuss
0: it anymore, you're like, I've said that now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've let it go from my body. That's yeah. exactly what spoken word is.
0: Exactly. So Instagram.
1: Instagram. We are here.
0: <laughs> um Lidfeed's amazing. thank we you love We love it. I I, I often see my, myself and Scarlet like commenting like Queen, yes, like, uh, you
1: guys are very comments. good on it. I love
0: it. Um,
1: it's very extra. Yeah. It's a lot.
0: <laughs> it's great. But um you, you often get hate from trolls when you post, and you're very, very open about this. Yeah. Um, how do you manage this and not let it affect your mental health?
1: Yeah, so I get trolled every day. There will be something in my DMs or somewhere every day about someone telling me that I should either like put some clothes on or that I'm a terrible Muslim. and I think probably if I didn't talk about Islam and being a Muslim so much or didn't so visibly have it in my bio, people would be less yeah. um, hateful online. <laughs> But they're really annoyed that I continue to call myself Muslim and post like semi-nude pictures. They're furious about it. Um, how do I deal with it? So I, so this is what I think, and I'm gonna be super honest and say it doesn't really affect me at all. Good. Maybe that's deep narcissism, or maybe I just have a very thick skin. Um, I don't know. But what I have always thought is that my job as a writer is to make you feel something. It's not up to me whether that feeling is positive or negative. It's just my job to make you feel. Yeah. If you feel absolute apathy and don't care when you read my work, I failed as a writer. So if you are incensed enough to write this message and tell me what an awful human I am, I've done my job. <laughs> and I'm like, cool, my job, my work here is done. Yeah. Um, and I'm always thinking, like, well, maybe I've jiggled something in you or I've shifted something in you. And that's the beginning of like a... 10 stage journey to you changing your perception and that's fine I'm helping Mm. you along your journey or or maybe you're just annoyed about it and I'm not helping you along a journey but maybe I've given you a different perspective and that's also great but in the end ultimately I've made you feel something and I'm like cool that was that's all I'm here to do to make you feel yeah I always just think of it like that and I always share and I'm super open about it because I think it's really important to highlight the harassment and violence that women get online. Um because what does happen when I share it is weirdly when I share all the screenshots of what people have said to me or screenshot all the dick pictures that I get um it gets like the most views. Like my story views triple. I'm not even kidding and I'm like that's so curious. There is something about watching other people say hurtful things that people just love. Um and not that everyone's like gloating about it, but they they're just so curious that people. And lots of people message me and go oh my god, that's mad, why are they doing that? Or but also what I mainly get is lots of men message me and say things like, I can't believe someone would message you that or I can't believe men think like this or, and I'm like, oh yeah, because you have no idea about the female experience or what we're subjected to mm-hmm. so I keep sharing it because I keep wanting to shine a light on that and mm-hmm. say, look, this is the reality because so much happens in the DMs that no one sees and everyone's just like, oh. and it's not the same me saying, I get trolled to me actually showing people what people have said. Um, so that's why I always share it and I think it is important to share. Yeah. Which is interesting because I shared a dick pic the other day. I saw. And quite a few people messaged me and were like, can you please just put a trigger warning on? And then I wrote this piece saying, well, the, point, the whole point is that women and girls aren't afforded trigger warnings before anything happens, before violence online, before sexual harassment in real life, whatever we're not afforded trigger warnings and my point is that and then lots of people messaged me and were like, Yeah but you're just perpetuating the violence and da da a few people messaged me and they were like, I like your stuff but I don't agree with your point of view, so I'm gonna have to stop following you and step out. I was like, Cool. I can't see you there. Do you like yeah. do what you feel needs to be done. But I'm just I think the idea of putting a trigger warning on every dick pic Like, you see porn every day. One way or another, you see it. It's, like, our advertising is all soft porn. Do you know what I mean? And I was like, I'm not... I never got the trigger warning. And this is my very point.
0: Well, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You you don't get a trigger warning, like, when you're walking down the street or when you open your phone. You don't get it.
1: Exactly. And maybe, like, the sinking feeling you get in your stomach when you see that will give you more of a reason to talk about it and discuss this issue that is clearly a very big issue that we need to address. So... Exactly. No trigger warnings from me.
0: And now, a word from our sponsor, King Manual Therapy.
1: Hello, it's Stephen from King Manual Therapy in Covent Garden,
0: and I'm going to talk to you today about why we pair singing lessons and vocal massage.
1: This is a unique service in London, and we pair singing lessons with vocal massage to keep the vocal athlete, the professional vocalist, in top condition. This means that you are going to get an audition through and know you can nail it. All the details for how to book in for your joint vocal massage and singing lesson are on my website, which is www.kingmanualtherapy.com.
0: So you did mention this in your answer to the last question, and you are very open by the fact that you are a Muslim, but you get trolled by Muslims for talking openly about sex Mm. um, and, and other things. Can you chat to us about why it's important that you are able to be yourself and still follow your religion?
1: Yeah, so... And I think that this isn't just true of Islam. I think this is true of all conservative religions. Um, because I get a lot of people messaging me um, who are Catholic, and they kind of go, oh my God, yes, that's exactly the same for Catholic families, or well, that's how I, how I grew up. But conservative religions have a problem... I think, personally, navigating modernity. So they find it difficult to think about, well, how is the faith now manifesting in the world that we live in today? And how does it work the way young people are today? Not the way we wish they were X amount of years ago, um, but how they actually are today. So for me, I've never... I've always loved my faith. And I've always connected to my faith found comfort in prayer when you know things weren't going well and like any relationship you go up and down with it so there's times where you're like oh I don't want to talk to you or I'm, I'm sick of it whatever and there's times where you know your heart is blooming for it and and you find such solace in your faith and that's always been my relationship to it so I've always never really understood why I should have to give it up if parts of me are exploring other parts of me, do you know what I mean, like if I'm exploring my sexual side or a sexual awakening or falling in love and having sex with someone, why, why does that mean that because I did that thing, because I chose to have sex with someone outside of the, the boundaries of marriage, should I just give it all up? Should I just be like, like, when you think about it like that, it makes no sense. But that's the dichotomy we've worked in for so long, that like saint or sinner dichotomy. So you either do everything great and you're a really good person you follow the faith or you're a saint and you're a rebel and you just don't give a shit and you're on the outskirts and i'm like that can't be it that i don't exist in any of those like yes there's still things that i still struggle with my faith and i still try to be better with my faith but also i'm still a young woman who has passions and feelings and wants to wear short skirts and and has actually when i look back through it all hasn't found anything wrong in doing those things and i think Me and God are great. Like, we're cool with the fact that I went out in a miniskirt and then had sex with someone. Like, we're totally fine. Um, And I still came home and prayed and found great comfort in it. Um, I've actually got a friend who's an incredible spoken word artist um, called Amani Saeed, and she's also a Muslim, and she wrote a poem about it. And she said... um, And she drinks, and I I don't drink, I've never drank, just because that's a choice that I've made. Um, And she said when I'm drunk at 3am and naked is when I need God the most. And I, that really stuck with me and I was like, yeah, actually, do you know sometimes when I've, when I've had sex or been with a man and you're in a vulnerable position, that is when I need God the most. That's when, mm-hmm. I, when I want him. And the people who kind of speak against that would then deny me entry to a faith because I've done some things. So I think it's so important to keep having those conversations because no one says it's all right to go out and get drunk and then go and pray. No one says that's fine or it's all right to sleep with someone who you weren't married to and then go and have like a great session of worship do you know what i mean no one talks about that Mm -hmm. and i'm like i can't um give up parts of myself and my god and my faith is so firmly a part of myself so how can i like chop myself up just to satisfy i don't know everyone else who refuses to think differently about it
0: well exactly and and why can't every part of yourself be a part of yourself is not one thing comes with another is, do you know what i mean a
1: hundred percent do you ever listen to troy siver no, no. he was um a song called youth it was probably really famous anyway he is an australian yeah. singer and he's got a song called heaven and i'm pretty sure it's about him my interpretation is about him being gay and mm-hmm. religious and it's kind of like if maybe i don't want heaven if i have to pick one of them maybe i don't want heaven because he's like well why would i deny a huge part of myself to yeah. go to heaven in like a strict religious sense yeah. um, and I think that was that's so pertinent and and I'm also everyone practices differently like my mum practices completely different to me she like I used to wear the headscarf she still wears the headscarf wouldn't even roll her sleeves up in public because she wouldn't show her arms yeah. um, completely different but we, we worship the same God and, and pray to the same faith do you know what I mean and I'm just like cool you do it that way and I'll do it this way and he's still there for both of us, <laughs> so it's totally fine. Exactly, yeah.
0: And people practice different religions in different ways the, the whole time.
1: Right, I'm here for your journey. Yeah. And as long as you're here for my journey, that's all. Yeah. I don't need you to do it the way I do it. Mm-hmm. Like all the Muslims who message me being like, ah, you're going to hell. I don't need you to be like me. I don't, I'm not asking you to yeah. kind of, you know... semi-naked and talk about sex and Mm. that's not for you 100% I support that Mm. and I'm always going to fight for your right to practice your faith in any which way that you want but you need to fight for my right to practice it exactly the same and just be here for my journey right
0: exactly yeah I love that it's so great uh now you are a self-professed feminist freedom fighter all the alliteration why is it important in this day and age to be a feminist and how can being a woman in today's society affect mental health
1: Um, it can drive you over the edge into a mental breakdown basically (laughs) Um, so whatever wave of feminism we're in right now and we're in a wave where it's a little bit more popular than it used to be my mum's an ardent feminist and raised me as such. Like, I was reading Virginia Woolf and, and Mary Wollstonecraft when I was about eight. Yeah. Um, and that was at a time when no one was talking about feminism in the way that we're doing it now. And we didn't have people like Caitlin Moran and Lena Dunham and all of those popular people that were talking about it in a public space. And there is an idea that... And I've had this conversation with some women and it breaks my heart. And they're like, cool, we've got it. We're, we're good. Like, we don't, we don't need to fight anymore. We've... You know, we've had stuff like, me too, and everyone's aware, and we are great. Like, I I spoke to a friend a few months ago, and she said the sentence, I don't think women are oppressed. And I was like, cool. And she was like, but, cool, like, you do you. And I was like, cool. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And that's terrifying for me. I'm, like, genuinely, like, made me cold to my bones. And I was like, wow, okay. So we're in a really dangerous time, I think, where people think we've, we've made headway, and we're getting things that we weren't before, but actually... The patriarchy is a wounded animal, and a wounded animal fights back twice as hard when it is wounded. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're at right now. And so I think it's really important to keep saying, well, this is what I am. I am I am a feminist, and I think there is such power in a name and a power in stating those things. Like, I've spoken to men as well who are like, I wouldn't call myself a feminist, but shut up. What does that mean? Like, you are or you're not. You believe in my rights or you don't. There's no in-between. And if you are, I think there is power in, in standing up and saying it. And God, I wish more men would stand up and say, I'm a feminist. Um, I remember when I was still working in corporate another lifetime ago, I interviewed for a content series we were doing, I interviewed um, Georg, who is the MD of Tesla. And he has in his bio, like, feminist. And I'm like, I wish there were more men like you and who were willing to stand up and be like, yes, I am a feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about it, in relation to like racism or anything, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? No one would say. Well, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm against slavery, but no one would say that because it's a preposterous. Mm-hmm. Um. So I think it's really important to say these things out loud, so other people can hear, and you can lead by example. Um, I think being a woman or becoming a woman is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Mm-hmm. And that becoming is going to continue for the rest of my life. It, you're always becoming a woman and coming into mm-hmm. new versions of womanhood. And we're trying to be women in a structure that wasn't built for us. And that's really difficult. That's like trying to force yourself into the wrong shape mm-hmm. to fit this ideal of what womanhood or femininity is supposed to be. Um, and and I think I performed it that night at, at your event. I've got this poem called Crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's about yeah. how women are always called crazy. But actually when I look back at the things that have been done to me and done to my sisters at the hand of hands of men and I look back at, at the rape and how one in four women have been raped or have a story of sexual assault and abuse and when I look back on the way that women are left with with the responsibility of childcare and child rearing or or just left with babies in their bellies as men walk away or can't be found. Um, when I look back at the way we have to conform to patriarchal beauty standards, when I look back at the way we have to be like virginal and lovely and and even to this day, like I'm 31 and all and I've, you know, achieved wonderful things that I'm so proud of in my career. And all people can ever ask me is when I'm getting married. I'm like, is that it? I was like I've done things that like anyone can get married it's really easy to find someone and settle and and have a wedding um you know it's less easy to do some other stuff that I'm really proud of uh but that's all so all of those things just it's like being constantly hammered at. you're constantly pushed or pulled or it's like someone tapping you consistently for all the years of your life and eventually, you can just snap, and it has such an effect on your mental health. Like, mm-hmm. you're trying to be this perfect thing, right? Yeah. And you're trying to be this perfect thing for him, or for the guy that you like, or the guy that you're with, and and you're trying to be a perfect thing for like your all your male bosses, and then you're trying to be a perfect thing for the other women who are also m- like policing you or monitoring you in a certain way. You're always trying to be something for someone else. That can yeah that can drive you insane. Yeah,
0: there's two things you said there that I want to pick up on. The first one is trying to be something for other women. It's like I don't understand why women can't just we have it hard enough if you can't just do you know what I mean? help each other. Like why do you need to put down on the women? I don't know. I don't know what it is about that. I think it's the kind of thing like when I see people online trolling people and I see that it's women against women and I'm like, but what? why why? Yeah. Why are you doing why are you doing that? And the, the other thing was um the marriage and babies thing. I think as soon as people get married, um they're like, Oh so when you're having a baby. Right.
1: As soon as you're in a relationship, it's when are you getting married. Then it's like, when are you getting a baby? Like, oh, let me live. (laughs) Like, he's not the most important thing. Yeah. Like, this is... He's a side event, as far as I'm concerned. Like, (laughs) I'm single, but if I ever fall in love again and get married or whatever, if if that happens, that's just going to be a side event. This is... Me and my purpose and the work that I'm doing is still the main thing, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. And if you want to get married and have kids, you will get married and have kids, because... it's your choice choice. do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. exactly
1: but it it, it comes from the fact that we are still in this day and age post me too post everything we still count marriage and a successful relationship as a measure of success that is still the ultimate success and that's what we're taught to get men and women that's what we're taught to aspire to and to get and then you're successful so for all the great things that I've done I'm still not deemed successful because I'm single and therefore there must be something wrong with me, and I haven't. So we have to, like, change... Yes, women are getting more platforms, and we're having conversations we haven't had, and things like Me Too are happening, which is great, but we're not changing our inherent structures to celebrate women. Like, look at Jennifer Aniston. All anyone could ever talk about was that she didn't have kids. Yeah. Oh, my God. Really? They're still going on about it, and, and she's still going, going she on about it? Is she 50 or something? She just something turned 50. Like that. Yeah. I mean, she looks
0: unbelievable. Incredible. Incredible. If I look like that... I- 35 i'll be like lord let us done. all hope yeah. <laughs> she's amazing um so you are on bbc radio london every friday from yes. 8 to 10 p.m yes for those who haven't heard the show what do you chat about and how are you using your platform to implement change
1: so good question because the platform is all about implementing change. So the premise of the show is that we shine a spotlight on underrepresented talent in creative communities. So that's women, that's working class backgrounds, that's people of colour mainly. So the show is filled with people of colour and women, which is just a joy for me. Um, and it's basically putting a spotlight on all the voices that you don't hear, and that's why I say working class as well, because in media we hear middle class voices and upper class voices, we don't hear those people who are on benefits just hustling away who didn't get the same opportunities in the creative world who didn't get to go to drama school for example because they just never had the money or the or the support system to even think that that could have been an option for them right Mm -hmm. and who just kind of wrote away in their bedroom trying to do things or or went to the local community center where there happened to be a free acting class do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. those people who have made it and who are coming up in the creative worlds they're who we talk to and we kind of have about three guests every, every week, and we talk to them, and if they are performers, they'll do a live performance for us as well. Mm-hmm. So it's really exciting to be in that place where I get to say no to basically white middle-class men. It feels <laughs> very satisfying.
0: Yeah, and not very usual.
1: Not usual yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, and it just feels like a really lovely, but not that they're sure they're doing great things, whatever, yeah. but there's other platforms for them and my platform isn't one of them. Yeah. Um, so that's lovely.
0: Yeah, for sure. We've spoken a lot about representation on, on this podcast and um, an episode that's actually coming out this week. Which is what? What month is it? August. August. Yeah. yeah. Not sure when this this episode will be released, but um, we we spoke to um, director Brona Lagan about a all female and non binary production she did of Children Amazing. of Eden, and Amazing. we were just chatting about how important it was that uh, it didn't detract from the story because they were able to um, use it as kind of like a narration device, and then yeah. you step into the character, and yeah, and we, we've spoken to we spoke to uh, Daniel Bailey who runs Palace of the Dogs, which is for. Um, for BAME actors, and yeah, it's just a really important conversation to be having.
1: Massively. Over.
0: And it does affect mental health when you're not represented. You don't hundred represented.
1: Because you just feel like you're being erased. Yeah. Like you don't exist in those spaces. And so, did you see Amelia when it was on in yes. West End? obsessed. And so we had Morgan Lloyd Malcolm on our show, and she and, and we also did an interview with the three Amelia's Yeah. Um, and it was just so wonderful to talk to them, and... Morgan is incredible and the work that she's doing the way that she flipped that script so it was all female and the production team were all female the commissioning team were all female and I was like watching that show and I saw it four times and I cried at the end of every time that I saw it and it was it was like being able to breathe and I was like you know it was about a woman of color who was a poet and I just stared at it and I was like oh my god like I'm finally on stage somewhere and and maybe I can do it and this was a woman back in Shakespeare's day yeah and I was like god come on like how are we still (laughs) having how are we still having yeah so depressing absolutely but yeah representation matters fully and we need to be able to see our faces
0: for sure I am, um, I went to the uh, Guilty Feminist podcast recording at the Royal Albert Hall. So did I! I thought I saw you. Ah, no! you see, I, Why
1: didn't you come and grab me? Because you were
0: on a different level to me.
1: Oh no! I was like, I was like
0: that's Selma.
1: I yeah! i so But
0: yeah, it, it, it was like too difficult to get to your level. Oh babe!
1: Again. I can't believe we were both. It was so good. It was incredible. Yeah, because Deborah I, had come on the show as well yeah. to like promote it before. Yeah. Um, and it yeah, it was phenomenal.
0: And obviously I'm um, Claire performing. Claire Perkins at the end, did it at the end. In yeah. The Albert Hall. I was shook.
1: I know, and I still yeah, cried again yeah. and I was still like, <laughs> Yeah. That, <laughs> that was, was like the fifth time I'd seen it. Yeah. That was an amazing afternoon. <laughs> it was amazing. And I thought, the Royal Albert Hall is sold out full of feminists for the Guilty Feminist podcast. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's brilliant, because three years ago, five years ago, not a a chance that wouldn't have been a thing for sure Mm -hmm. it's just so great we're having these conversations
0: like we say about mental health even two years ago we weren't having conversations about mental health and and representation and feminism so it's just the the fact that everyone's talking about it just means that we're getting slowly closer to to slowly slowly normalized and part of our society yeah absolutely yeah for sure um so, you're currently writing your own novel, am I correct? Correct. Yeah. Dum,
1: dum, dum. Can
0: you
1: give us a little cheeky insight? Or yes, a... I give yes. a cheeky insight. Um, <laughs> so the novel is a work that has been happening for a long time. Um, so it's about three young Muslim girls, and they, or women, I should say women, they're not girls, because they, they're all doing their masters at university, mm-hmm. they stayed on, did their masters, and they're in that transition, they're about to finish their masters and go off into the world. So it's kind of in that in-between time where you still have a foot in like home life and almost a younger life because you think you're an adult when you're in university (laughs) and it's not until you step out that you realise we were just playing. like That was not adulthood, we were in a bubble. And then they step out into adulthood and it's just that transitionary moment where you make lots of decisions, don't you? You have to decide what you're going to do or where you're going to do it and if you're with someone in university you decide are you going to be with them? Do we break up? Do we go to the same place together? like What do we do? Um, so it's about these three young Muslim women, they all have a different relationship story, so like one of them's going out with a white boy that she can't actually be with, one's going out with like, this perfect Muslim boy, who's not so perfect in the end. Um, and they're they're kind of trying to bring these two worlds that they very fully exist in and love, kind of that Muslim parental community, and then they're like kind of university friends who aren't Muslim lives. And it's about the struggles of belonging to two very... Um, separate worlds and how yeah. that identity crisis manifests in you
0: um,
1: and again representation like we yeah. just don't see i've never seen the stories of young muslim women outside of terrorism or honor killings yeah or like jihadi brides
0: yeah amazing can't wait to read it when it's out do you have a publication date or is it still in the works
1: no but exciting things are happening so we can't wait stay very tuned
0: we will we will <laughs> Um, so, obviously, you're quite busy with writing a novel yes. and, uh, and, and your show and everything. Uh, how do you manage your busy lifestyle and stay on top of your own mental health?
1: Oh, God. did you know what? Someone said that to me recently. and They're like, how do you juggle it all? Because mm-hmm. I also have my own marketing business. Yeah. Um, so, there's lots going on. And I, very truthfully, I don't think I do juggle it all. I think sometimes the balls drop and I just leave them and then I'll pick them back up and then another ball will drop. Yeah. Um, and that's actually the reality of how it goes mm-hmm. um, because in a day I can have like three meetings with clients, finish a project, launch a marketing campaign, have a poetry performance and then be on radio. All of those things could be happening and it, there are so many different worlds and it takes so many different versions of Salma to like shift in and out of these worlds and I think sometimes I forget to write a poem or forget to do something and then sometimes I'm doing things last minute before sometimes I'll be writing a keynote the night before because actually as much as I would love to have done it two weeks in advance the truth of the matter is I have client deadlines and they pay my rent that I yeah. couldn't not do and so I think and I and I kind of want to get I get away from the idea of like you can juggle it all like yeah. yes you can do lots of different things but the reality is sometimes one will take a hit and and, you, and then you'll pick it up and be great I and mean, then sometimes the other one will take it and that's okay, and I just, um, well, I don't sleep a lot as well, <laughs> and lots of things happened last minute, yeah. because I just didn't have the time, because I was doing 40 other things, yeah. and I'm like, and I've just given up the idea of being like, everything's going to be done prepped in advance, it's not, it's yeah. probably going to happen the day before, when the actual, de- which is why I always say to people, like, if you need me to do something, or if you want me to submit an article, or you need, or that's why I say to my editors as well, just give me a deadline, and it will happen in the deadline, but it will probably. But I yeah. need the deadline. If you're like, just give it to me when you're ready. It's never it's never going to yeah. happen.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think I think adulting is a realization that none of us are perfect. Ever. Yeah. And like, even you think your parents are perfect, and then you become an adult, and you're like,
1: oh, yeah. they were just bluffing. The whole thing, they were winging pretending. it, absolutely. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they were just late to things, yeah. and they missed deadlines, mm-hmm. and they were like, sorry, this got late because of X, Y, Z. And I'm like okay, well, I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, actually, exactly. I'm embracing it. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I remember were... someone telling me they were like, the "Deadlines are movable things." Yeah,
0: <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, true,
1: it's exactly, very true.
0: exactly." I think it's probably worse now in the digital age because we can be a little bit more maybe flippant about things or, or not not flippant. That's probably the wrong word. Um, we can be a little bit more relaxed about things because there's so many things coming from a different side and you're like well we'll get it sorted we'll get it sorted you yeah. can get in contact with people you can be like I will I will do it it's happening yeah. rather than someone phoning you or, yeah. or writing you
1: a letter like exactly. 30 days ago so. so I'm just put a deadline on it and yeah. it'll be fine exactly
0: exactly and um, so final question yes Sal, I could literally talk to you all day bum, bum, um, bum. could you walk into a room today and say I'm having a bad mental health day
1: so uh Good question. I, w- I want to say yes. But what happens is I do it in retrospect. Mm-hmm. So the person that I am, when I'm having bad mental health bouts, I get very insular, go into myself, mm-hmm. and um, then ignore everyone for about however long it takes. And then I'll come out and be like, oh yeah, I was having a really bad time. Mm-hmm. So about a few weeks ago, i I just come out of really bad place and for about a month and a half I was in a really bad headspace and I and I did get better, I, I did say to friends I'm just having a bit of a rubbish time but there's also loads of friends that I didn't yeah. tell um, and then I've, I've told them over the last few weeks and they were like why didn't you say something, why didn't you tell me it was so bad um, and and that's something that I do need to get better on and I am trying to get better at saying I'm having a bad time yeah. um, someone maybe come over and just don't say anything but just sit mm-hmm. while I watch movies or procrastinate or whatever it is that I'm doing. Um so I'm very, very good at talking about it afterwards. Yeah. Without shame, without inhibition. When I'm going through it, I'm not because the way that I process it is I, I have a great withdrawal and I don't want to talk to anyone. And all there's almost the words are in my mouth but they're not formed so I don't know even know how if my friend was saying, Well what's wrong? like I I wouldn't know how to get it out because I'm still feeling it. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm very good at talking about it afterwards but I probably do need to get better at talking about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Sam, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. We've got another game.
1: Yes, let's go.
0: Yes, this is called Finish the Sentence. Oh, okay. I love this game. This is my favorite one. Um, If I was Prime Minister for the day, I would...
1: Demolish the Conservative Party.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The first thing I did when I woke up this morning was...
1: Snooze and go back to sleep. Mm-hmm, me too.
0: Mental health to me is?
1: Being able to write things out of your body.
0: I couldn't live without?
1: A cup of tea yeah. and cake. Mm-hmm. Tea and cake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Very British, love it. I know. And <laughs> <laughs> um, A book I'd recommend to everyone
1: is? A Little Life. It was incredible. It was nominated for the Man Booker Prize a few years ago. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever read in years. It crawled into my soul and stayed there.
0: That is the quickest response we've ever had to that question. Who, who's it by?
1: Um, Hanaya Yagashorti? I can't pronounce her name properly. Cool. But uh, find it and tweet it out, or I'll send you a picture of it. It's yeah. called A Little Life. And I sobbed my way through the last 100 pages. Not just like a stray tear down the cheek, like heaving, ugly cried. Amazing. Phenomenal. I'm gonna
0: read it. Uh, my current favourite Netflix watch is?
1: Probably Jane the Virgin, but I've just finished it. And it's just finished, and I don't watch TV, that's like the only thing I've watched. But Jane the Virgin was amazing, yeah. and I loved it.
0: Great. Uh, everyone should be more
1: truthful, I think, um, with themselves mostly, and having honest conversations, and being vocal. Everyone should be more vocal, that's yeah. what I think.
0: Lovely. I am creative because.
1: I have so many emotions and because I'm Egyptian and we're naturally dramatic. It's a genetic thing. We're just, it's in our genes.
0: Oh, amazing. Uh, And I'm just going to add a final one just because I'm always interested in people's response. Pineapple on a pizza is? Whatever. Yeah.
1: I I don't eat pork and it's normally a ham and pineapple thing, isn't it? So I don't really have it on pizzas because I wasn't having the pig.
0: Because
1: why would you have pineapple? Right. And they only seem to put it on with the pig. Yeah. But I get the sweet and sour thing. It's not my favourite thing to do, but yeah i get it
0: yeah some people are really like oh i love it some people are like yeah, yeah it's like a yeah, marmite thing isn't it, it, is it? very much so. i like a bit of marmite yeah <laughs> there on a bagel <laughs> so thank you so much thank you for, for having me it. Pleasure. thank you so much for listening to industry minds and we hope you enjoyed this week's episodes don't forget to subscribe to be the first to listen to our new episodes which are out every thursday if you are interested in our counselling service, please email maryindustryminds at gmail.com or just get in touch with us. For news on future guests and events, oi oi, please check out our Instagram and Twitter accounts over at Industry Minds UK. Thank you so much for listening and we will be back with you soon. Have a great week. Bye.